In a world filled with information, where do you turn to get straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money? Lock it in to the longest-running financial talk show in Arkansas and let us help you build the bridge between information and application. Real financial change begins right here, and it starts with you. It's showtime! Good morning, everybody. On today's show, Leaving a Legacy. It means a lot more than just a financial inheritance. Things to consider and action steps to take to ensure a better financial future for the next generation. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. And we welcome you into another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show. Glad to have you along. My name is Scott Inman, along with Janet Walker and John Shrewsbury, as we talk about generational wealth on today's show. And, and I think guys, uh, a good jumping off point for me here is I think about the way we plan. And we think of, we talk a lot about the bucketing strategy. Well, there is always a legacy bucket out there. And when we talk to people about building their retirement plan, legacy may not be a high priority when we talk about retirement income off the, the front end. But as we're very often saying to our clients in the meeting room is, is if you can tell me your date of death, we can build you a pretty darn good retirement plan. And no, sure. nobody knows that. So our legacy bucket is twofold. It is preparing to counter what we call longevity risk. We don't know how long you're going to live. So there always needs to be uh, money available no matter what age you are. But if you don't make it to X amount of years, that gets passed on to your uh, next generation. So we're going to be talking about the next generation today, but it goes a little bit deeper in terms of this show than just the financial or the money bucket at the end of someone's life. It does. And and clearly, one of the things that we emphasize a lot here at GenWealth to the point that, that the gen in GenWealth is actually uh, indicative of our thought about generational wealth. Yeah. So when we formed the company, generations were on our mind, the generations of families. So whether you're at that younger generation and beginning to generate wealth for the first time in your life, or if you're on the upper realm of those generations and it, you're more focused on transitioning your wealth to the next generation, then at that point, it's it's important for you to understand that we've made that a priority here at Gen Wealth. It's important for you to understand that generational transferring of wealth and of everything financial doesn't just happen. It's something that it takes some intentional time and intentional planning. And I think so much of that really revolves in uh, setting your next generation, your kids, let's just start with that, in the conversation about their habits and about what they uh, learn about money from you. And I think right. there's a there's a teaching component that goes on there. And I think that's really a, a, a key starting point for us here. If you don't have your own house in order or if you just don't like talking about money with your kids, and I think that's probably more often than not the, yeah. the, the main reason that it doesn't get passed on, there is a mentality here. And we talk so much about the mentality of planning, the mentality and discipline and sacrifice that it takes. You need to get that in place for yourself, but you need to talk about it and and spend time talking about it so that your kids can catch on. So what we're going to really focus on today are some some things to consider, but also some action steps. If you haven't really done much of this in your planning uh, for your financial future, it's going to impact your financial future, but it's also going to impact your kids' financial future. And it's not just about preserving a million dollars to pass on, because I don't think, especially here in Arkansas, I don't yeah. think that's really something that is even a, even if it's something that parents are able to do that it's not something they want to do because there's a work ethic involved yeah. in here. There's other things to consider. Yeah, we we had a conversation just this week with some clients of GenWealth who uh, they have been very diligent to save and save and save and invest and invest and invest over their lifetimes. And they've amassed a, a large amount of money for people in Arkansas. And they've talked about a concern that when they're gone, it, it, they don't want all of that to go to their children. And that's fine. We understand their children will receive enough to be definitely blessed by that inheritance, but they don't want to ruin their lives, basically, is the thought that they want to, to work through what is appropriate to give them. And for everybody, that's really a different answer. But one of the things that comes into play there, guys, is which dollars do you have inherited and which dollars 
dollars do you send to uh, maybe a charity instead? Mm-hmm. And that comes into play in the planning process. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of people think that it's like a light switch. It's either on or it's off. Right. I'm either going to give my kids a lot of money or I'm going to not give them anything And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. There is what uh, the concept of controlling it from the grave, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is the concept of of structuring inside a trust and being able to to dole that money out on a on a uh, prescribed basis. There's there's a lot of things that that you can get into and and be able to to do some things with that. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Nope, I'm not going to give them anything or yeah, I'm just going to turn them loose with, uh, you know, several million dollars of, of your assets. The truth of the matter is this, your money is going somewhere when you pass away and how that is passed on and the method by which it is passed on really is totally in your control while you're still alive and while you're still lucid. But you get to that point in life where you can't make financial decisions or you have a sudden event and you pass away and then the money's just going to whoever is on the beneficiary uh, designation on your account or, you know, go through the the probate process and and go through the the state prescribed uh, generational transfer of wealth. Either way, that money is going somewhere and it is best that you're in charge of that decision as opposed to uh, circumstances or someone else. I think what we're seeing, too, is a real proliferation. I think from my experience in the client meeting room of, of that uh, passing on of wealth occurs while they are still alive. They, yes. they want to give gifts to the grandkids. Yes. They want to set them up from a, a college funding standpoint. And I think about that in my own life. You know, I want to give my kids the best foot forward that I can give them. But after that, they make their own way. Right. So I'm more more really focused at least this season of life for me is getting them through the education process and the beginning of their adult lives and then let them build their own wealth uh, in their working life. But even thinking that way, our first point here today is it starts with you. You know, we, we use the old adage of uh, if you're taking a flight and you and the uh, flight attendant is giving you the safety rules right before right. how to how to buckle the right. seat belt which very few of us really don't don't need help doing that but they talk about the oxygen mask in the event of an emergency the oxygen masks are going to fall from the top and they always tell you what secure your own mask mm-hmm. before helping others and i think the same is true when it comes to financial independence you've got to work on your financial future before you can really help anybody else. And this is this carries a, a lot of weight in a, in a lot of different directions. I think, first of all, uh, you got to understand the concept that you can't pour from an empty cup. You've yeah. got to have something in order to pass on. And a lot of parents seem obsessed with being sure that their kids are taken care of and, and that they have everything that they need and to the detriment of their financial future. You got to take care of you for two reasons. Number one, it's the right thing to do. Secondly, your kids are watching you and mm-hmm. they're they're learning from how you handle or don't handle or mishandle money and I would be I would encourage you to be intentional about what they're learning because yes. some things they can misinterpret like they may they may observe hey we take a nice vacation every year but do they know that you're not paying for that with credit cards do they know that you've saved a little bit every pay period so that the family can take a nice vacation every year so you don't want them to misinterpret the habits that you have they are learning something from you are are they learning what you want them to learn and that's an important question for for you to ask. And I think, John, too, this goes, uh, not to interrupt, I think that this goes beyond just children, too. You, you do get caught up in family members who are in need, right? Yes. You, there can often be times where I cut checks, uh, uh, not me personally, but the story is that you could cut checks to a family member who is in real financial need, yeah. not necessarily taking advantage of you, but you have to consider what that's going to do to your own financial future and where that puts you if you do it. it it's an opportunity risk, you know, yeah. just like we talk about in investing. If you put the money here, you cannot also put it there. Mm-hmm. I, I have been around long enough to, to see this happen on, on a number of occasions. You know, somebody retires and they've got access to their retirement mm-hmm. account. Mm-hmm. And then they start spending it on their adult children who can't get out of their own way. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that, that they're from a financial standpoint, they always have some need. There's always some crisis in that adult child's life 
that mom or dad are running to the rescue for and and giving them money and giving them money and giving them money. And what's happening here is in a lot of cases, that child isn't learning anything because they're basically just, you know, living off of the, the good nature of their parents. And the parents' wealth is is dwindling, dwindling, dwindling. And at some point in time, they're both going to be broke. I, I think you've got to focus on the difference between enabling and empowering. Yes. You know, yes. a lot of we've seen so much in this generation of the older parents enabling their adult children to continue to live off of mom and dad or continue to get a significant amount of assistance. We, it is more in your interest and in theirs, frankly, to empower them to be independent. And if you can do that, you think forward, you know, at some point in the future, if you can't empower them to be independent, if you only enable them, then at some point in the future when you're gone, what happens to your kid? Hmm. They've got to hmm. be able to live on their own at some point. And maybe even you deplete everything that you have and can't take care of your own financial obligations without help from your children. And by the way, you've been enabling them all along. Yeah, who's going to take care of yeah, you when they're broke? It's yeah. in everybody's best interest for you to empower them rather than enable them. You're not just passing down your money, you're passing down your habits. Yes. That's, that's the key yeah. point here. So I think some things to consider off of this bullet point in the last part of this segment, that it starts with you. That's the first thing you need to consider when you're thinking about others, actually, is setting up your own retirement plan and that comes down to taking a look at what your income is going to be in retirement. So some things to consider, no matter where you are, if you haven't saved a penny for retirement or if you saved a million, is Social Security really going to be enough? And yeah. for almost everybody, the answer is no. Yeah, you've got about $1,500 a month average Social Security yeah. payment. That's about 18000 a little over $18,000 a year. I don't know anybody can live on $18,000 a year. Well, and guys, the assumption here is if all you have is Social Security, then you probably don't have a paid off mortgage. So there's probably a need to pay for some housing expense there as well. It, it gets to be very tight very quickly. And and because you retire, that doesn't mean life stops. That doesn't mean the right. inevitabilities of life. Right. They, they don't stop. You, you're still going to have emergencies come up that you've got to to respond to those emergencies you know uh, we just had a series of storms blow blow through arkansas yeah and you know there's going to be deductibles to be paid on on damage to houses and things of that nature those are all things that that are going to continue in life and you've got to be in sort of a bulletproof type situation so you can continue to uh, to survive and that is number one to your benefit and to your health financially, but it's also to the benefit of your children who are seeing you be financially responsible and learning financial responsibility through the actions that you are taking for yourself. That's a question to ask yourself. Do you have an emergency fund? If so, how much is in it and is it enough? You know, we we prescribe to the Dave Ramsey thought process here of three to six months of expenses. That's one way to look at it as a good rule of thumb, how much you should have set on the sidelines. But John, what you talked about with the storms, that's really how I personally look at the, my emergency fund is if I had to cover all of my deductibles in a given year, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. Whether it's healthcare, whether it's property, whether it's auto, I want that parked on the sidelines because that gets me to the insurance company. That's part. right. Right. That's right. And and that really isn't the end of it. You've got a lot of things that, that come up that you have to deal with that are not insurable. Right. And, and you've got to respond to those things. And sometimes it's over and above what insurance will yep. cover, because I, I know that's very common uh, with people who have Medicare. Medicare is a limited benefit. It's mm -hmm. not an unlimited thing that you can just go to the hospital and spend money and all that. And you've got to pay for a Medicare supplement. But sometimes you need something that's even outside those two things. And you've got to have the money to be able to respond to that and that is clearly if you are are really you know trying to pass on that generational wealth in a time while you're still living that's a that's a little bit of a precarious thing that you've got to have balance in and i think you were talking about enabling right. versus empowering and that's where you've got to really draw the line scott leaving a legacy starts with you so before you jump too far into generational wealth planning Consider your retirement income needs. Is your required monthly income in retirement going to be met? And chances are, if you're relying solely on Social Security, the answer is no. If an emergency arises, can you cover it? And if your health takes a turn for the worse, will you 
be taken care of. We're just getting started, though. The next bullet points are revolving around healthcare decisions that can help you leave a legacy to the next generation. Back in a moment. Leaving a legacy, that's the topic of today's Get Ready for the Future show. Better decisions that you can make during your lifetime for the next generation. And it's not all about leaving money behind. Things you can do, we talked about in the first segment, it starts with you. And we do want to encourage you to make sure that your own retirement is planned for and you are doing the things to achieve that successful retirement. We do have a quick way for you to get a quick barometer on how you're doing Find out if you're on track for a successful retirement by going to 15minuteretirement.com. Now, we want you to use the number 15, so 1-5, and then spell out minuteretirement.com. Or another easy way to get the same information, you can text the word CHECKUP to this number, 501-381-5228. Again, it's 501-381-5228 for a quick retirement checkup. Just put in some information. You'll find out a general barometer on how you're doing. When you want to retire, are you going to be able to get the income that you want and you need? So taking care of you, that's our first things. It starts with you getting your plan in place to get to a successful retirement. But some of the other things here on this segment are going to be revolving around that other thing we talked about at the end of the segment, which is if your health takes a turn for the worse, are you going to be taken care of? You know, John, you mentioned Medicare and the things that it covers and the things that it doesn't. And one of the things that many people are shocked to find out is that it does not cover any long-term care uh, costs that may arise. And and when I say may, statistically speaking, it's a 7 in 10 chance that we're going to need some sort of long-term care in retirement. You're right, Scott. And there is a Medicare provision for rehabilitative care Mm -hmm. in in, uh, the long-term care realm. But when you think about home health care, when you think about nursing home care, that is not covered by Medicare. Medicare stops at the nursing home door for the all intents and purposes. And so if you have a debilitating issue when you are older and you have to be cared for at home or you have to be cared for in a nursing facility, you've either got to pay for that yourself or you've got to have long-term care coverage or you have to deplete all of your assets so you go on Medicaid, which is a pauper's state program that provides minimal custodial care in a nursing home setting, no home health care for Medicaid. And so it's really one of those things, Janet, that as you think about the the dynamic of that and how someone would want to be cared for, first of all, I don't know anybody that wants to go to the nursing home. Uh, It's not a place that that people really, you know, uh, uh, aspire to be at. But you do know that that you're going to have to have some resource for that. Yeah, absolutely. And John, I think you hit on one of the reasons that people are confused and think that their that their needs in this arena would be covered by Medicare, and that is Medicaid. I think the names just confuse people; they, they do. get them mixed up. So let's. I'm just going to give you an easy way to remember this: Medicare is something that is used to care for the elderly. So when you turn 65, you get Medicare at that point. Okay, It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have, you can get Medicare then. But Medicaid, you aid the impoverished, care for the elderly, aid the impoverished. And so if you have gone through the financial resources that you have and you're at a point where you don't have the ability to pay for your care anymore, then Medicare is not going to provide that for you because they are here to help you with your medical needs to the point that you are still improving. But when we get to the point where it's a long-term care situation, they're not going to do that. So if you don't have have insurance that steps in and you can't pay on your own, then you spend down your assets and that's when Medicaid steps in. And as you referenced, John, it's a different level of care. And not that anybody wants to be in a facility of any type, but you certainly don't want to be there under a Medicaid situation. So you want to look at how do you purchase throughout the rest of your lifetime How do you purchase your dignity and your independence? And you don't want it to be dependent upon a government program to do that. And let's hang out on that independence thing for just a second. And I've seen this happen in in families for years and years and years. Someone, uh, maybe the the older people in the family, don't have the uh, the financial resources to take care of their medical needs. Right. 
And so that burden then falls to the next generation to care for those folks, both physically and financially. And when you talk about the transfer, the generational transfer of wealth, Mm -hmm. what about the generational transfer of financial burden? Uh, That is a huge thing that you want to, to protect against because, you know, your kids are raising their kids. They're taking care of their mortgage. They're taking care of their family. They don't have the financial resources in a lot of cases to be able to take care of mom and dad. Mom and dad need to be providing for that in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And sometimes, Scott, they realize that way beyond the point of time where it's too late. Long-term care planning, I call it the elephant in the room. It is the thing that nobody really wants to talk about, nobody really sees. And when we get asked the question, what am I not thinking about when it comes to retirement? That's the number one thing for me. Yeah. And the costs are are pretty significant when you think about, uh, you know, what does it cost to take care of the next generation? Uh, Number one, I think if you think about assisted living, that's that's a a very common thing that people go, I'd like to be in a setting maybe where there's some assisted living or something like that. About $48,000 a year is the cost of assisted living. Home health care aid, that can run as much as about $52,000 a year. And private nursing home care can be over $100,000 a year if you're not careful. Now, some of those statistics may be a little bit cheaper here in the state of Arkansas because the the cost of health care is not quite as much. But that comes from a 2019 study by Genworth, not Genwealth, but Genworth uh, on the cost of care, a survey that they did all across the nation. So the price tag is pretty significant. It's as much as someone's salary in a lot of cases. Well, I mean, even if you take that private nursing home cost of $100,000 a year that that Genworth provided in that survey, even if you take that down to, in Arkansas, let's say $5,000 a month, that's still $60,000 a year that we're looking at. And how many Arkansans have the ability to say, okay, here's $60,000 a year for this that I haven't been doing ever in the past. This is an expense I've never had before. And I can still do everything else that I need to do. That's where you get into the weeds. Yeah, and I think that that brings back the importance of retirement income plan. Yeah, because absolutely. May, you may have a retirement income plan built that is going to generate enough income that you don't need the full amount of, yes. the, of the nursing home coverage in place, but you may just need to supplement, right, mm-hmm. with right. a little bit extra coverage that will kick in maybe half of it. Or if you have a very very uh, high income in retirement, you may be in a position to self-insure, but it's a time to think about it. And I think the best time to think about it is between ages 55 and 60. Certainly you can do it sooner and you can do it later. It's not the only time to think about it, but from a cost effectiveness, if you are going to go the route of long-term care insurance, John, I think 55 to 60 is the wheelhouse. Yeah. And I think uh, we want to educate you a little bit about the concept of paying for long-term care with what I call discounted dollars. So let's take that that $52,000 a year for uh, home health care. $52,000 a year. Now, you could pay out of pocket $52,000 a year, or you could pay for a long-term care policy of some type of maybe two or $300 a month. Now, again, nobody likes to pay two or $300 a month for something that they may or may not use, but there's about a seven in 10 chance that as Scott said, you could need some type of home health care or long-term care coverage in the future. So if there is that high probability, would you rather pay $50,000 a year for it? Or would you rather pay two or $300 a month? I think that's the concept of paying for things with discounted dollars through the use of some type of long-term care insurance. Well, and one of the things that one of the approaches that we like to take on this is one that would provide a definite payout, whether yes. you whether you need it for traditional long-term care needs or not. We don't know ahead of time. We don't know if statistically you're the person who will need care or who will not. And so if you if you determined to address this needs, one of the ways that we will look at it is to do, is to look at a life insurance policy that has a rider on it, uh, and that rider will cover the long-term care type of expenses, but it's a pool of money that can be used in either way, whether it's for life insurance or for long-term care needs. So if you're rolling along and you need care, okay, great, this pool of money is going to start paying out, and you can utilize it to even have somebody mow your yard. You don't have to 
to use it for care. Once you can't do two of the activities of daily living, you've qualified to receive that income from the policy. But let's say you don't ever need it for that reason. You just pass away, you have a heart attack, and you're gone. Then that money is going to get paid out in the form of life insurance. And guys, I think that this helps people address it because it it feels like a roll of the dice. You're going to pay this premium on a traditional long-term care policy, and maybe you get a benefit out of it, maybe you don't. And it's not so inexpensive that you're like, ah, whatever. It, it does cause you to think about it, which is one of the reasons we really like that type of policy where it's blended. Scott, I want to tie, tie this back into the idea of this generational transfer of wealth. Let's say mm-hmm. that you have a half million dollars in your IRA and your intention is to live on that money and, and be able to transfer a chunk of it to your kids until you have a long-term care event come up. And then all of a sudden you're spending $50,000, $60,000 a year on long-term care coverage. And that is dwindling down that asset that you wanted to pass on to your kids. Long-term care insurance basically comes in and says, okay, we're going to stop the bleeding from the 401k or IRA. And we're going to pass, uh, we're going to pass that responsibility off to the LTC company. Long-term care insurance kicks in that preserves that asset. Or Mm -hmm. as Janet was talking about, if you have a life insurance policy, maybe you spend down the IRA to take care of your long-term care and the life insurance policy passes on to your kids. And by the way, that passes on tax-free. Right. That whole dynamic just got changed with the the SECURE Act, which we're going to talk about, I think, in the next segment, Scott. Yes. But that whole dynamic just changed, and it makes life insurance way more attractive for folks that are interested in legacy planning and next-generation wealth. It makes it way more attractive than it used to be. Yeah, and we're going to talk about life insurance, too. We're kind of running up against a break. We've only got a minute left in this segment, so we're not going to do it now. But life insurance kind of is twofold there in in the placement of retirees as john mentioned in uh if you're going to make a plan to deplete your ira in your lifetime and then having that tax-free life insurance death benefit to pass on to the next generation but what about way before retirement in younger years you can make decisions for your kids in the next generation with life insurance too that can uh, help that generational wealth or leaving a legacy component as well. It's all part of the planning process, though. I think about that long-term care component being a discussion that has to happen as part of your retirement income planning. And we do that every day at GenWealth. The GenWealth Ready to Retire process is something that you can walk into very easily. Just call this number, 501 653 7355. Again, it's 501 653 7355 to get started, or send us an email to info at getreadyforthefuture.com to begin walking through the ready to retire process. We're going to take a break and be back to talk about life insurance and that SECURE Act right after this. Our theme today leaving a legacy, action steps, things to consider doing in your lifetime that will better prepare the next generation of your family for a better financial future. And we talked about it all starts with you. You've got to deal with your retirement planning, your retirement income, preparing for a health event, a long-term care event uh, in retirement. That protects uh, your generational wealth transfer. But we were mentioning before the break, guys, about life insurance. And we're going to talk about life insurance in two forms. We're going to start with younger families. You know, I think that younger families probably aren't thinking oftentimes too much about retirement. They may be saving for it. They may be contributing to their 401k and they may see their wealth increase. But the considerations for life insurance are extremely uh, important when it comes to your own uh, spouse's retirement, if something happened to you, and also the next generation. And we believe that there's a certain way to look at how much life insurance coverage you need. And you, first of all, need to get the most death benefit you can for the least amount of premium. I think that's a good jumping mm-hmm. off point. Yeah. And let me just, first of all, set the stage for this. Look, I, I, I grew up in the 60s and in the era where when you said life insurance, you think about the guy that comes in with a three-piece suit and the slick back hair and the wingtip shoes, and he's selling you something that it, it slices, it dices, it, it washes the car, it takes out the trash, it does this, it does that, and all this type of thing. And it then you get it and it's like, what do I have this thing for? I don't understand it. And and, and, and when somebody dies, there's not enough money. In. Yeah, yeah, there's not enough money there. And that is not what we're talking about when it comes to life insurance. It really is not. 
life insurance it really has a couple of purposes in our minds. Number one, life insurance, as you are raising kids, uh, have a family, you've got debt, you've got mortgage, you've got all these things that you're doing in your life, your family depends on your income. And life insurance during that stage of your life is for income replacement. Mm -hmm. And as Scott alluded to, the more insurance that you can buy for the least amount of premium, generally term life insurance is the best thing for you in that era of your life. As you get older, historically, Janet, it has been a philosophy of ours that you need less insurance as you get older, but governments have a way of changing thinking on that. And and we have found that, that life insurance is taking on a whole new life, if you will, in this era of the SECURE Act. It is, and it's all because of the nuances of taxes. So you have different pools of money, if you will, that are going to go to the next generation if you're not here to utilize those funds. So you have your money that came from your 401k, the majority of which is probably pre-tax. There may be some Roth dollars in there, but for most people, you're going to have a significant amount of 401k, traditional IRA type money, which means that when it goes to the next generation, when they pull it out of the account, not at the time of inheritance, but when they pull it out of the account to utilize those funds, it's taxable. In the past, prior to the SECURE Act, they were able to stretch that withdrawal over their lifetimes. They could take it all at once if they wanted to, but they weren't required to do that. So by stretching it out over their lifetimes, they would take a smaller amount each year, and there was a lower tax impact. Now, they're required to take that out within a 10-year period of time, and the issue is... it's going to add to their already taxable income, whatever they have as ordinary income already. This just gets stacked on top of it. But life insurance, guys, goes to whomever, the next generation or whoever your heirs are, are. it goes to them tax-free. So if you can... If you can, if you're still in a position where you're insurable and can get an insurance policy, then that insurance money will go to them without it being taxable, and the IRA money can go maybe to a charity instead. Yeah, and you've got a lot of complexity that has entered into the equation here. And so life insurance, we think from a tax standpoint, makes some sense uh, to pass along to your kids as opposed to an individual retirement account. But also, we have found, Scott, that the life insurance, as we've talked about on the show uh, just a little bit ago, the hybrid type of life insurance policy that provides for an equal amount of long-term care coverage in terms of death benefit, that long-term care pool of money can come in very, very handy to offset those health care expenses in retirement. Yeah, so a tax-free life insurance death benefit may be an option there to pass on generational wealth uh, in a different way in this era of the SECURE Act. Another thing to consider, too, is if a Roth conversion may uh, make sense as well. You know, oftentimes we talk about this when people are entering their first year of retirement. You don't think about, you know, and typically Roth conversions are things we do when someone's younger. They have a lot longer uh, work life ahead of them. So if they do it early on in their careers, they're able to uh, maybe not be in as high of a tax bracket when they do it, get it done, pay the taxes on it, and then have this tax-free growth or tax-deferred growth and tax-free withdrawals when they get to retirement. But if you think about someone jumping into their first year of retirement and removing themselves from their high employment income, they're typically going to be in a lower tax bracket not likely they'd convert all of the IRA money, especially if they've saved quite a bit, but they may want to take some of it and park it into a Roth IRA through a conversion right. and have a tax-free method to take on uh, that generational transfer. And one of the things that we will help them do in that process is look at how much of it you can convert and still fill up the same tax bracket bucket, if you will, without jumping into a higher tax bracket. But I think very importantly in this, one of the things that we'll help you through is determining whether you're wanting to convert more than what you should in any given year based on the impact that it's going to have on your Medicare premiums. A Mm -hmm. lot of times people don't realize that that counts to them as income and is calculated in how much they're going to pay on their Medicare premiums a couple of years down the road. They don't know it until they get hit with it, but that's something we can help help you plan for. And let's spend a little bit of time talking about Roth conversions because we get a lot of comments, a lot of questions about Roth conversions and whether somebody should be doing a Roth conversion right now and, and depending on where they are in that in that timeline. And of, where taxes are going. And too. where yes. taxes are going. Yeah. So let's kind of give a quick primer. Number one, 
I think if you think that uh, about the Biden tax proposal that he's put on the table, if you make over four or five hundred thousand dollars a year, you're probably going to see taxes go up. And so converting IRA money to Roth IRA money or 401k money to Roth 401k might make some sense right about now because this could be the lowest tax bracket that you will see for the rest of your life if you are mm-hmm. in that tax bracket. But understand, we're talking about somebody that makes four or $500,000 a year. I don't think, guys, that we have any clients that are drawing four or $500,000 a year from their retirement accounts right. here right. at GenWealth. And so that's really not a big issue. And a lot of people are scared out of their mind about taxes. And it's not going to be as big a problem as a lot of people think, because there's just all this hype about how much taxes are going up. Taxes are going up. It's going to kill me. And I'm making $50,000 a year, it's not going to kill you. Okay. Right, it's right. really not going to affect you as of any of the proposals that are on the table right now. But you have to also think about Roth conversions in terms of how much time do you have to allow that that converted money to grow on a tax-free basis to benefit you in the future? Where I think the sweet spot for Roth conversions are, are with a lot of young people right now. Yeah, again, it does give you a very long period of time, like Scott mentioned earlier. Really, I would just say wherever you are, it's important to have that conversation wherever yeah. you are in your lifespan. Guys, I want to circle back for a moment to life insurance. Um, you know, it's interesting to see the responses of people in, in our meeting rooms when we talk about life insurance. And sometimes people are like, I don't really want to talk about it. Um, but when you get somebody who is all about talking about it, let me tell you this. It tells me that there's something in their past that had a significant impact on their life. I have never in my career sat in a meeting room where somebody who's whose parent, the primary breadwinner, especially if the primary breadwinning parent passed away at a young age, they are all about talking about life insurance, either because they tell me my dad didn't have it and we struggled our entire lives and and my kids aren't going to go through that. Or they tell me my dad did have it and we didn't have to change our lifestyles. And so we're going to have it for our kids, too. It is a difference maker. And it's the people who haven't ever walked that road who are like, "Eh," you know, but realize for not very much money, you can you can get that in place and not have to worry about it. It's a big peace of mind thing. Yeah, I, I would agree. And and I've never known any family that went, I wish we didn't have that life insurance policy. No, not once. You know, not I, once. I, and, and I understand. I, life insurance is an icky thing to even think about. Nobody likes to think about dying. Nobody likes to think about spending money that you're not going to somehow benefit from. It ain't about you. It's about your family. It is about your family in the circumstance of term insurance. It's about your family in the circumstance of long-term care insurance. You are protecting the legacy that you are looking to leave to your family at any particular point in time that you think about life insurance. The key here is to have uh, have uh, a conversation with an advisor that has your best interest at heart, not just a sale of a life insurance policy. When you have people that that's all they do is life insurance, then they're, they're trying to make a living at that. But your advisor likely has the ability to to write life insurance policies without any problem. And it's not that big of an impact on his income. It's being done for you as opposed to their benefit. One other note I want to make on the Roth conversions, too. You were talking about making them at an earlier age and the benefit there. One thing that I think is a a misunderstood component of this is you need to have the cash on the sidelines to pay the taxes. Because I think some people Mm -hmm. think they're going to take it out of their IRA and get dinged for a 10% penalty. Uh, for taking it out. Yeah, right. that that is uh, one of the biggest misnomers that we have to fight about because you have to have the money to, to handle the taxes. Now, if you have a small IRA or small 401k, maybe you got ten or $15,000 from a former employer, you can probably convert that. And maybe if you're getting a refund, that conversion, uh, the taxes on that conversion gets absorbed in your refund. Mm-hmm. It's really not an issue, really not a problem, but you do have to think about it in terms of how am I going to pay that higher tax bill? And guys, we have soft here at GenWealth that actually doesn't leave that to guesswork. Yeah. You can actually plug your numbers in and say, okay, if I convert $10,000, how's that going to affect my tax bill? If I convert 20, how's that going to affect my tax bill? And you can judge whether it's something that you want to do or not. All you have to do is give us a call and we will help you with that 
particular calculation. One other note, too, uh, we've been talking about the SECURE Act that was passed in 2019, late 2019, became law in 2020. There's a new one. It's being called SECURE 2.1. It is uh, securing a strong retirement. More being talked about. More changes on the horizon. If you want to find out that, uh, more about that, uh, you can subscribe to our Fastest 4 Minutes in Finance. Just go to fastest4.com. It will be delivered in video form right to your inbox. And this week we're talking about Secure 2.1. You can get some more information about that. Can I just say that uh, oftentimes when the government labels one of these things, it's just the opposite of what they say it's going to do. <laughs> That's Insecure. True. Yeah. yeah. Insecure. <laughs> exactly. We'll continue with our uh, show topic today, Leaving a Legacy, right after this. Passing on wealth to the next generation, that's the subject of today's Get Ready for the Future show as we wrap things up today. And it's more than just uh, passing on a nest egg uh, or funds or money, uh, if you will. It is a mindset, and that's what we're going to get into in this segment. But we do want to remind you once again some of the things we've talked about already in the first three segments of today's show. We talked about it does start with you. Making a plan for your own financial future can enhance the next generation's financial future. When you think about taking into consideration what does your retirement income picture look like? Are you going to have a plan to live on more than Social Security and a plan that also grows your assets and allows you to have inflation-adjusted raises in retirement and has a legacy bucket, if you will, down the road? And also thinking about health care costs. Healthcare and long-term care, a key component. How are you going to deal with that? It's all part of the Gen Wealth Ready to Retire process. If you want to find out if you're on track for retirement and you just don't have a lot of time to spend on it, we've got a real quick, easy way to give you a, give yourself a general barometer of where you're at. Go to 15minuteretirement.com. That's 1-5 and then spell out minuteretirement.com or text the word CHECKUP to 501 381 to get a quick look at where you are. But the best way is to come in and really do some comprehensive planning. That's the ready to retire process. Send an email to us, info at getreadyforthefuture.com or give us a call at 501-653-7355 to begin that process. But in our final segment here, we want to talk about our final point and it's get your mind right. We, We use that internally. Uh, here at Gen Wealth, when it comes to doing our jobs, right? But we also do it in terms of planning for a better financial future. Wow, I I wish if I could kind of you know use that as Janet loves to say that bippity boppity boop uh, deal wand, uh, yeah. wand to to get things done. One of the things that I would just absolutely kill is this hesitancy or or stubbornness about talking amongst your family about money. I don't know where that came from. That's an old school thing. Uh, oh, we just don't talk about money. We don't talk about that at all. No, you, you should never talk about money. That's bull. You, you can't do that because here's the problem. If you are good with money and you don't teach your kids how to be good with money, it doesn't matter what you pass on to them. They're going to squander it. And, you, and we've seen that. We've seen absolutely. that in client meeting rooms with with parents who have been very wise and they go, Man, our kids just don't get it, and, and they didn't talk about it. They didn't yes. teach them that. Yes, and and I think that that is a disservice, even though you think you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Because I understand money creates controversy in families sometimes, and people get gold digging eyes and stuff like that. But all of that really can be put aside if you lay the right foundation through that generational education. You know, I know what you meant by this, but I'm going to stop and go back when when you say money creates controversy. That's not really true. Money doesn't create controversy. It can't. People create yeah, controversy. Yes, right. You're right. Now, it You're may right. be about the money, but yeah. but if there's controversy, it's not it's not being caused by money. You've got to learn how to communicate with each other. And if you have to communicate about money, okay, let's figure out how to do that without yeah. controversy. To, to your point, money is an inanimate object. It right. is only what we infer upon money that that it creates problems yeah and and so that's something that i think that that parents today could really do their kids and themselves a very great service if they would just learn to open up about that conversation you know as i listen to you guys talk about that i think about one of the main reasons that that you probably don't have your parents talk to you about money is because it's usually bad news 
It, yeah. yeah, you know, you for think some about people, it. that's true, right? Because yeah. if it's good news, we probably do want to share what's going on in our financial lives. But if it's bad news and things are are kind of rough, you you do have a tendency to want to shield that from your kids. So when you talk about getting your mind right, it's talking about money, but it's also getting your own financial house. Yeah in order so that you want to share that with your kids. You, you know, there are more, I'm sorry, John, no, uh, there are more verses in scripture about money than about any other topic, yep. anything else. And, and I think that's, you know, God knew we were going to struggle with it. And so he went, okay, here, here's your financial education. It's in there. Go get it. A lot of it is in Proverbs. It's there, but you have to talk about it. You know, if God felt the need for us to know, then we should feel the need for our kids to know. Yeah. And, and I think the exercise of that knowledge in the household, it's really, you know, we, we always talk about school districts, not teaching about money. They're, they're kind of changing that. But that's really not where the rubber meets the road. The rubber meets the road and the household. And yeah. and you've got to have those conversations about money so your kids will be able to take care of that family legacy. If you think about how many people just pass on family heirlooms, think about, you know, some yeah. some particular, you know, uh, piece of jewelry or China, you know, China or yeah. whatever the case may be. And it's almost like they worship that that item. And it's like, oh, we got to take care of that. That was mom and dad. Mm-hmm. What about the money? The money was mom and dad. You got to take care of it. And now you can't go to seat on that. I've, I've seen people inherit money and never want to do anything with that money because, oh, that was mom and dad's money. I just have to just right. put it in the bank and, and make sure that nothing ever happens to Emotional. that. That's yeah. really not the way you want to do that, too. Balance is the key in the conversation about getting your mind right about money. I, I want to go to a verse that everybody has heard, and we use this in a lot of different contexts. Uh, and I think that's okay with this particular verse because it is applicable in different contexts. This one is, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I want to talk about what that means. When, when you look at how this is originally written, that training is not a one-time training. It's not a sit your kid down before they go to college and have one conversation about money. It is a daily process. We started talking about money. Frankly, before our son could talk, we were talking about money. Mm-hmm. And he had three little banks as a, as a toddler. He had three little banks and one was for, for for giving, one was for saving, and one was for spending. And even before he had a clue about math or any of that, we were having those conversations. He just turned 18 and I'm not worried about him on money stuff. Like, you know, there was a while there where I was like, you're using that spending bank a whole lot there, kiddo. But we kept having those conversations because that training is an ongoing daily occurrence. And then the other key to this verse is in the way he should go. And what that really means, I had a pastor explain this once. It means according to their natural bent, meaning the conversations that I've had with my son about money are different than the conversations that I've had with my daughter about money. And it's not because of gender. It's because of personality. You could, Scott, you've got twins. You could have twins and have two completely different conversations Mm -hmm. with them about a topic like money because they're wired differently. You have to train them according to their natural bent. Well, there's no wand we're going to wave here and make things better if someone just listens to this show and yep. everything's going to get solved. It comes down to what's the plan, and it often does in this show because it is about getting together your thoughts and putting them on paper on purpose. And I would encourage you that even if you're decades away from retirement, dec- maybe you don't even have kids. Let's say that, right? You're not thinking about yeah. generational wealth transfer. You don't even have children yet. Still, never too early to put the plan in place for your retirement and what you're going to build for your financial future. If you're just getting started, John, our Money Guide program is a great place to start. Yeah, Money Guide is is a wonderful tool that we use here at GenWealth to help folks that are in that, that growth phase of their life. Uh, if you have kids and a house mortgage and you've got elderly parents and you've got all these goals and aspirations and dreams and everything, you're probably going... How can I enjoy life right now, but still reach all the goals that I would like to have? Well, the way you do that is on paper, on purpose, by getting your financial plan together. Money Guide is a great tool for doing that. Now, the Gen Wealth Ready to Retire process is for those folks that are, let's say, anywhere from, from 10 years to retirement age and beyond that you are ready to get into that next phase of life. You're ready to retire. Mentally, you're ready to retire. You're ready to go with that. 
the ready to retire process is a great process to go through. And some of the things that we've talked about today are included in the ready to retire process. All you got to do is just give us a call. We'd love to have that conversation with you, whether you are in that midlife area where you're raising kids and families and I have all these financial pressures on you, or if you're saying, What's the next phase look like? What, how do I live for the rest of my life on the resources that I have right now? Either way, GenWealth can definitely help you. Our process covers seven key areas, investment strategy, social security maximization, creating guaranteed income to meet your basic needs, protecting against inflation and providing for lifestyle income, addressing long-term care needs, reducing taxes during retirement, and it's all documented in a written plan. You heard the bell. It's time for our final thoughts. And Janet, we'll start with you. Okay, so let's go back to focusing on generational wealth. If that's important to you, the habits have to start with you. You have to have the habits before you can teach the habits and take care of your own needs first before you can pass those uh, those good habits along to your kids. But the key, I would say, is you don't have to do it alone. Scott, I think that one of the things that you've got to think about before you uh, really jump too far into generational wealth planning, ask yourself, are your retirement needs met? Are you sure that you're going to be able to live your lifestyle that you want to live in retirement on the money that you have? You've got to take care of your own house first before you take care of the next generation. Remember, Social Security, only about $18,000 a year. You've got to have a plan to live that lifestyle that you're looking for. We know my final thought is that you. we know that it can be complex. We know that it can be a daunting task to even think about where am I right now? Where do I plot myself on my graph towards retirement? There's a quick general barometer to find out, are you doing okay? Are you on track to meet your financial goals? We have a great resource. You can go to a website or you can just send a text. It's that easy. You can go to 15minuteretirement.com. That's 15minuteretirement.com to find out if you're on track or text the word checkup to the to this number, 501-381-5228. Again, I'll give it to you again, 501-381-5228 to find out if you're on track for retirement and if you're ready to walk through the ready-to-retire process. As John mentioned, if you're 10 years or less away from entering retirement, or if you're just getting started, the Money Guide program is there for you too. Give us a call to get started, 501-653-7355 to get matched with a financial advisor here at GenWealth. Leaving a legacy, hope we've given you some valuable tools to think about. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building toward financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The Gen Wealth financial team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 501-653-7355. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. Gen Wealth Financial Advisors is an Arkansas registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC.